Welcome to Brand New Doctor. My name is Rola Kerajo, doctor turned healthcare graphic designer and brand strategist. This is the show where we share big ideas and look for inspiration in all kinds of places to help you grow a fulfilling career in healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. So this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. Hey everyone, and welcome to Brand New Doctor. This is the place to get inspired to carve your own career path and look at healthcare from new and interesting perspectives. Today, I am joined by Dr. Claudia Pastides, who is Director of Medical Accuracy at Flow Health. This is an app used by over 250 million people worldwide to track periods, ovulations, and symptoms. So Claudia's work creating fun, engaging, and medically accurate content for Flow impacts millions of people by making evidence-based health information more accessible. So before doing this, Claudia had 12 years of experience, both as a doctor in hospital and as a GP. She then went on to work as a medical copywriter for Babylon Health before taking on her role at Flow. Claudia has appeared as a medical expert on television and has been quoted in newspapers and magazines like Glamour and Marie Claire. Claudia, I know this is going to be a really interesting conversation for people working in healthcare who also have an interest elsewhere to explore how you can combine those two things together. So let's dive right into it. So Claudia, I've listened to some podcast interviews that you've done and I realized that we actually have a lot of similarity in our family backgrounds. We both come from families of doctors and dentists. And I know that's the case for a lot of people who work in healthcare. So I would love to know from your perspective, what is it like or what was it like for you to grow up in that environment where a medical career is kind of a natural choice and then to break that trend and go and do your own thing in medical copywriting and creating content? You're right, from generations of doctors, to be honest, it's not just my parents who are doctors. My grandparents are doctors as well. And I did not know what else there was out there to do. It just seemed like the thing to do. And not not just that, but also I really loved science. I did well at science. Uh, I really liked people. I think most people like people, but I thought, oh, I really like people and I'm really good at science. So obviously this is going to work for me as well, the same way as it has for my, my parents, my grandparents. Um, and it did. I really enjoyed it. I got so much out of it. I've learned so much through it, so many skills and not just the knowledge of how to look after my children if they're ill and, and all of this, which honestly is a saving grace. But, you know, everything else that I learned, all the skills. So it, it was a good, it was a great experience, but always for me in the background, I loved writing. I loved marketing. I enjoyed being creative. Um, I took, for example, art to A-level. I didn't want to just do sciences. And I was advised against it. I was told them do that because it might harm your chances to get into medical school. Um, and I took it anyway because I needed it. I needed it for balance. I couldn't just do maths and sciences. I wanted something else to do and something creative. So for me, that was really, really important always to have some kind of creative element. And then when I got out the other side of finishing all my training, working clinically, all the time alongside working clinically, I was doing creative stuff around it, but wherever I could, wherever I could fit it in, even in the form of social media, you know, Instagram posts, building websites, just whatever I could do to be creative. 
Yeah, I can I can definitely empathize with a lot of what you're saying. I had a lot of tricky conversations with my Nigerian parents about leaving medicine. It wasn't easy. But what what was it that kept you going, you know, even with that sense of hesitancy or fear that it might not work out? What was it that kept you sticking with this with this path that you were on? Do you know, I did, I was speaking to someone who, when she left medicine, she said that she, she burnt all her bridges. She burnt her ships, she burnt her bridges and she left. And I was thinking, actually, I think what kept me going was the fact that I didn't burn bridges. I almost, I did half of my time still working clinically and half of my time I started doing the marketing, copywriting at Babylon. And what I then realized was that the more I did of that, the more I loved that. And I was really looking forward to it. Everyone's always anxious. Like the first question I always get asked by anyone who knows I've left medicine, um, they always ask me the same thing. Don't you miss the clinical contact? And I understand why they ask that because it's such an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And it's a huge privilege to be a part of people's lives, like these sort of really intimate cases or when they're at their worst. So I totally get the question. I, did, I realized I wasn't missing it. And, and, and not only that, but I was missing it sort of like less and less and less and less. And the more marketing and copywriting I was doing, the more comfortable I realized I really felt there and actually the happier I was. Yeah, that, that for me was that transition. I kind of did a one foot in one camp and one foot in the other and then gradually realized actually, no, it's this camp that I want to be in. Yeah, I think, I think that is a, a good way to look at it. I think for different people, different things work well. For some people... They don't have that enjoyment of the work. So it makes sense for them to kind of burn bridges in a sense. But if you are, you know, thinking that you might miss it or that you do enjoy it, then it makes sense to kind of slowly ease yourself out of it or see what else might be out there for you. But I I guess I want to ask you a little bit more about the mindset that you had to develop to get to where you are today. Because obviously the way that you were thinking as a doctor isn't the way that you think now. Yeah, it's very true. What I've realized that I've learned over time, especially when transitioning from clinical to non-clinical work, it's sort of this ability to, it's more like, it's like a transformational thing. That's the best way that I can describe it. So just being accepting of change and, and not just that, but questioning, questioning the status quo. I'll give you an example. So like in clinical work, You've got a guideline. You follow this guideline and, you know, on the whole, this guideline will take you to where, you know, to the best place. And you can make some tweaks here and there with your, your med, your, you know, medical discretion in the best interests of the patient. But more or less, there's kind of a defined guideline that you find. When you work in something like health tech, when you work somewhere creative, you're actually very often innovating something new, like especially at Flow. I feel very much like we're right at the front of stuff. There's no guidebook. There's not really much past experience. There's definitely not a guideline. So being comfortable with questioning things, trying things, risking and failing, which is really hard in medicine because you, you, you're so risk averse. You'll follow these guidelines to avoid risk as much as possible, reduce it. But when you're thrown into tech and into, you know, a creative role, you just got to let that go. And it's really hard. You just got to throw yourself at it go all in and see what happens. If it doesn't work, I try again. It's okay. When I talk about mindset, I'm just interested in the way that you think, you know, um, that's, that's really what I think of as mindset. But that being said, 
what you're describing sounds a lot like the growth mindset, actually, which is something that I talk about sometimes. Um, really interesting book by someone called Caroline Dweck. She's a famous psychologist and she talks about just having a mindset that you can try things, you can get better at things more so than it has to be perfect the first time. You're more focused on learning and growing than you are on proving yourself. And um, that's definitely something I've noticed as well in medicine. It's like before you can do something, you must be qualified to do it. And someone else has to have told you that you can do that thing. And when you're doing something else, like what I'm doing right now, nobody told me that I can do this. Nobody, nobody tells you that nobody tells you to go and get a job at a health tech company. You have to do that off your own back and decide that you are qualified to go and do that. So um, that's definitely a good kind of frame of mind to come into of like, you know, if you're doing the thing, then you're qualified enough. You're qualified enough to start doing something. You don't have to have someone give you a certificate. Mm-hmm. I noticed another similarity between the both of us is that we've both had exposure to different interests and ideas and we're both kind of combining that with our medical background. So for you, obviously, that's more like marketing and interest in communication with people. For me, that's design. But how did you actually come to realize that there was a way to do this? And did you ever feel that you had to choose one or the other? before you kind of got into medicine? I suppose you talked about you wanting to do art, but them saying, oh no, it wouldn't help your application. <laughs> oh, I, so I, for me, medicine was the thing that I was going to do. I mean, whatever happened, it was going to be, yeah, it was going to be medicine. I felt like that was the path that I was going to go down. But, but always alongside it, I was doing other stuff, like always. And I remember when, um, so this was, I guess, maybe what, 10, 12 years ago when social media was starting out to become, you know, more and more popular, Instagram, for example. And, and I remember really enjoying, uh, posting on Instagram. I remember really enjoying setting up a blog. I remember really enjoying getting loads of followers on Twitter. Um, I remember wanting to set up all sorts of little initiatives in my area where I was living. And realizing that actually, yes, part of that was because I wanted to spread some medical knowledge to people, but actually part of it was because I was loving so much the satisfaction of creating something and making something beautiful that feels like it's my own and putting it out there and sharing it with people. That's actually what was also giving me, I wouldn't say it was giving me a huge, a a more huge kick than spreading health information. I'd say it was actually pretty balanced. but yeah, just realizing how much I was drawn to that and just how brilliant it was and how much I loved the comm side and the marketing side. Everything that I created, yes, was I wanted to make a course for new parents in the area. I set up this course, but my favorite part of setting up the course, the teaching was great, but it was the website, the marketing, the getting, being able to get into the press somehow by finding a way to do that. And actually, the marketing found me, so these jobs found me, these opportunities found me. It wasn't me looking for them because honestly, I didn't know they existed. I had absolutely no clue. So I got approached via LinkedIn by Babylon because they'd seen, I had this Instagram profile, this Twitter profile, this websites, whatever. And they approached me. And likewise with Flow, it was the same. It was via LinkedIn because they could see on my LinkedIn that I was doing all of this for Babylon, that I was doing marketing, so on and so forth. And it, I fit the job description of what they were looking for for the medical advisor role. 
Uh, but I didn't know it existed as an option. Mm, okay, that's really interesting because my, my next question was going to be basically for someone who is looking to get into creating content, what, what, what might you advise them to do to help them get started? And, you know, I think it sounds like you just kind of followed the instinct of what you were pulled towards, what you kind of had a passion for, what you were interested in, just started making things along those lines, not expecting anything, but doing it regularly. Would you say that's right? Yeah, exactly. I was, I was doing it because I was enjoying it. And the more I did it, the more, uh, the better I got at it as well. But also the more people noticed that I was doing this stuff and that I had this mix of skills. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's how, that's how I ended up, I think, getting a lot of uh, potential job opportunities. So that's one way in. Um, so that's what I often say, create, like just start creating. Because anyway, if you're someone who's creative, I think you'll be doing that anyway, but just be brave enough, I suppose, or bold enough to share it and not to expect, you know, we live in a culture now where you expect a million likes and a million followers, you know, and if you don't get all these likes and followers, oh, maybe I'm not doing so well. And that's not true. It's not, it's not really like that. You just need to create and keep going, create and keep going. Because if for you, it feels good to be doing that, then you know, you're doing the right thing. And then everything else will develop from that point onwards. You'll make networks with people, which I also think is really important. Uh, networking, how we met actually, right? We met, I think via LinkedIn. I think you approached me via LinkedIn, right? Because we were sort of in a similar circle. We saw each other's posts. So networking, I think, is very, very important too. And that kind of opens your horizons. You realize what other options there are out there and what kind of jobs people have that you would like. And you'll then see, oh, I, I would quite like to do that. Let me just have a chat with that person if they're open to you know, telling me how they got into this position. Yeah. So I imagine that more and more doctors are wanting to get involved in health tech. It's this growing space. So I'd just love to kind of speak to that and ask what has surprised you about working in this industry, good or bad, that you might want someone who's considering a similar path to be aware of. It's very, very, very different from clinical work. It's different, not just because obviously you're not seeing patients one-to-one. It's difficult because, and different because you go from being really quite autonomous, like even in hospital, when you're working, you're working, yes, as part of a team, of course, you've got a team of people, but still you're very autonomous in your sort of consulting and your consultation style in the way you uh, make a management plan, especially if you're a GP anyways, like for myself, it was me in my room and patients. And that, and that was, that was my day to day transitioning to working as part of a team that is way more multidisciplinary than you could ever imagine because you you only realize when you step outside of healthcare that actually the healthcare multidisciplinary team is is quite similar you've got your nurse you've got your radiologist you've got you know the the, the person on the ward who's there who knows how the ward works has been there for a long time a very similar kind of mindsets in many ways and then you transition out of that into health tech and you've got a designer You've got a writer, you've got a proofreader, you've got uh, an ops manager, you've got an engineer. So different, such different ways of thinking. And, and the way you all have to fit together to build one thing is, is really, it's very, very complicated. So adapting to that and, and 
again, when you're on the ward and you're explaining to any other multidisciplinary team professional, you know, in the hospital about a heart attack, on the whole, everybody's got a baseline understanding of, of what that is or of what it means. When you're explaining about period pain, when you're explaining about whatever in femtech, for example, you're the only person who really actually knows the science, the medicine, the everything of that. And you need to explain it and pull it apart and bring everybody on board so that they understand the purpose or the medical purpose, the medical science behind what you're building. And that is a whole new skill set as well. It's not the same as explaining to a, a patient. It's completely different. You're explaining in a way to facilitate creating a product for a patient. And that is really interesting. Like learning those skills, I, I have found that's been a very steep learning curve. Yeah, I agree. I think managing time, it is very different outside of a clinical environment because when you're in hospital, the end of your shift is kind of the end. A lot of the time you can hand things over. I know people do tend to stay late and everything and they can be pushed into doing extra shifts. But at the end of the day, someone else is carrying on with what you're doing. But I found when I started working in tech, it was like, I don't want to go on holiday because when I come back, this will still be here. All of this work is still going to be here. So I had just a, like a different feeling of like, okay, work is a lot more continuous and it can like go on forever. Like when someone is discharged from hospital, that's the end of that, that episode, if you like. But when you're developing something, it's like, how long is a piece of string? Like you can keep going with things. And the goal of the the day in the hospital is pretty much the same every day. Discharge people as quickly as possible, bring in new people, look after the people. But in health tech or in tech in general, sometimes you're like, what even is the goal? You have to, you have to take a step back even and be like, what are we trying to achieve first of all? <laughs> so there's some really big questions that you have to, to answer. I'm curious as well, what is a common misconception about what you do now? Because I'm sure you get a lot of doctors who are like, you know, they're already asking you, like, do you miss clinical practice? Like they're just looking at you as a doctor who's been physically transplanted into a new environment, <laughs> doing exactly the same thing, but as a like now writing. So, so they're just, they're, they're not really understanding there's like a complete shift in how you're doing things. So, so what do people ask you or like, what do they think is going on? That's just really not the case. The most common misconception I have is, ah, so you're doing telehealth. Ah, okay. So people call you with their period pain and tell them what to do. I'm like, no. And the other thing that people think that uh, we do is that we write. They, they think that if you're a doctor in content, you are writing the content. And while that was true at Babylon, at Babylon, I was writing the content. Yes, for sure. But at Flow, we're not writing content. No, the, the content is written by a huge team of people and we are a, a piece of the puzzle actually. And where we have this, uh, the other thing I, uh, that's a common misconception is, oh, so you just check it to make sure it's right. You just check it to make sure it's right. And we're like, no, actually that's not it. So yes, we do check and we make sure the references match and everything else that, that is part of it. But actually there's so much more to it because if you imagine, like we work with medical board experts and these are clinicians who are practicing clinicians. So whilst I will review an article or a PR quote or a whatever, you know, social media post, when it's done, sometimes we also need to use a, a clinician to review it and they will give you feedback and they'll say, no, 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 no. I want you to say, I think you should say this, 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 or no, no, the numbers are actually different. 
And our role is to make a decision and say, do we accept that feedback? Do we take on that? How do we take on that feedback? Because what is right for flow? It's not what is right for this clinician or that clinician. It's what is right for flow, the brand. And I think people don't understand that that is a very big part of an in-house medical role for a tech company. You're kind of like that person in the middle that really you have to make a lot of really important decisions. A really basic example is if you look at the definition of a normal menstrual cycle in the NHS, it says 23 to 35 on the NHS website. ACOG, the American College of Office and Gynae, says 21 to 35. You might think that's not very relevant. It's totally a tiny, it's a couple of days difference. It's a huge difference for an app that has an algorithm that tells you when your next cycle is due and what may be uh, an abnormal cycle and what normal cycle. Or when we produce an article in response to somebody's cycle being very long or very short. It needs, we need to decide, do we go with 23 to 35, 21 to 35? So we have this role where we have to amass so much information from all around the world because we're a global facing company. Also use medical experts, use our medical expertise and come up with what is, what is Flo's medical thought here? And we make sure we try and stick within that and standardize it. So a big part of the role is also, is also that. And I think a lot of people don't know that that's important until you're there and having to do it. You don't realize that that's actually a really big part. That's so interesting. It's really fascinating hearing you talk about that because it seems to me, it's, I actually had an interesting conversation about this with someone who had some different interests in medical kind of writing, copywriting and in women's health and was just talking about how your interests in different areas or the expertise that you have in different areas are laid on top of each other like lenses sometimes. And then you have to look through all of them at the same time. And what you're describing, I think really exemplifies that, that you are a doctor, you're also working at Flow, you have to take in all of the the advice from other boards as well. And you have to figure out what is the best route forward, essentially. So yeah, very, very interesting. You have to curate and draw upon your experiences in a, in a very kind of measured way. I, I talk a lot about creativity on this podcast because I think it's a loaded word and it can divide people into one camp or another. And I think doctors who consider themselves or don't consider themselves creative, they often shy away from it and they miss out on the benefits of leaning into or exploring creativity. And then people who do think of themselves as creative oftentimes feel stifled in their job and they wonder where creativity can make a difference to their work. But you've described yourself as creative. I'd just love to know what does that mean to you, first of all? And how did you, how did you find the energy and the, the kind of focus to, to still be able to explore that side of yourself while you were in clinical practice? Uh, yeah, the latter, the, the, a quick answer to the latter. The only reason why I found the energy was because it gave me energy. That, that's the only reason why doing that made me feel great and rested. Much like when I did A-levels, the painting that I had to do for me was not stress. That's what relieved me of all the chemistry, the biology, the maths, the everything else. So it's exactly the same. Creating content gives me energy. Um, and why I describe myself as creative, I, I don't know. I guess it's just the fact that I'm always looking 
do something new, try something different. And I, something that I think my dad used to get really frustrated with me about, but I used to get bored so easily. And I used to hate that about myself. Like, why, why am I so bored? And why do I always feel bored? And then I realized actually that whenever I'm creative, I relieve that boredom. And that boredom actually for me was a sign that I need to do something creative. I need to make something. I need to try something new. I need to change something. So that's kind of how I describe myself as creative is this desire to kind of constantly be doing something new, creating something new, coming up with new ideas. Um, that to me is creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think creativity comes in all kinds of guises and forms, in fact. And so, yeah, I do think it is a loaded word because people think creativity is just painting. But you described, you know, wanting to set up a, an event and wanting to market it through a website and get it in the press as well. So you, those are ideas and, you know, that's creativity that kind of drove you forward to actually putting that thing out into the world. So it's not necessarily creativity in the most traditional sense that you come out with some origami paper crane or something at the end of it. So I, I really tried to put myself in your shoes. So you've gone from a medical environment to a tech environment. You've got different types of coworkers. You're speaking a different language. You have different expectations placed on you. And I imagine because I felt that way myself when I was working in tech, that perhaps there's a sense of imposter syndrome sometimes. I know it's talked about a lot, but I still think that it's really great for listeners to hear about it because they might be thinking about changing gears in their career for one reason or another. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Did you feel this way? If you did, how did you overcome it? Or is it still a work in progress? <laughs> I, do you know what's weird? I don't feel it actually, which I find really interesting. But the reason why I don't feel it is because I went through an experience when I was a GP that really shook imposter syndrome in a really big way for me. And I, I remember I was, you know, I was just finishing training and my um, GP trainer was on the other side of the corridor for me. And I would turn to him quickly. Oh, this is, this is what happened in this case. This is the background history, the, you know, past medical history, da, 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 da. And he would say to me, and what will you do in this case? And I'd be like, well, I was thinking to do this, this, and this. And he would go to me, I would do the same. Go, <laughs> you know, and I kept doing that back and forth, back and forth. And he kept saying to me, I would do the same. I would think the same. And yeah, now and again, he would come up with some other ideas and make some other suggestions. But that really gave me the ability to think, you know what? Actually, it's all in my head. This second guessing, this imposter syndrome is in my head because every time I go to this guy, he says, but that's what I would do too. Why? Why are you second guessing yourself? What, what's going on with this imposter syndrome? And at that point, when I realized that that is a creation in my head, even now going through to uh, health tech, I try and keep that in my mind all the time. And I think, yes, but the experiences that I've had up to this point, I think somebody else with the experiences they've had up to this point would make the same decisions, would do the same things, you know? So actually, no, I don't think there's any imposter syndrome. It's just, just part of me growing and developing. I'm not doing anything wrong or failing. And when I do feel like that, it's because it's in my head rather than actually there's some tick box. There's some boxes that I'm, you know, not able to tick. I know they don't exist. So this is all in my head. So yeah, I, I find imposter syndrome doesn't affect me so much as it used to because of that experience that I had. Yeah, that is such an amazing way to look at it. I love that because I, you know, I often say that 
I felt a little bit institutionalized from school in the sense that, like you're describing, there's a tick box in your head that there, there once was a tick box on paper and then you internalize that and now there's a tick box in your head. And that's why you're always living up to some standard that is kind of imagined now. And you're so right. You kind of have to throw out that rule book, essentially. And I, I love that idea of just like saying, well, someone who has done all of the things I've done and experienced everything that I've experienced would likely do the same thing as I'm thinking to do now. It's a really, really good way to to approach that as well. So thank you for that. I, I, I really appreciate that perspective. I'm going to use that myself. So finally... I ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. I just love you for a moment to imagine you are the dean of your medical school. You're able to influence the curriculum in any way you see fit and you can decide what students are going to learn. So what would you want students to learn about? And it can be about anything you want to, communication, creativity, creating career opportunities for themselves. What would you want them to learn to prepare them better for the world of work? I would love two things. One of them is I believe health technology just needs to be a part of the curriculum now because it's not the future, it is the now. (laughs) It's the present, but it will become more and more in the future. So I do feel like health tech should have its own branch where you can understand what the differences are, what the engineering side is, the creative side of it is, the content side. So that's one thing. Um, And the other thing I would love and I wish that I'd learned was about personal branding, personal branding and networking. I really wish that I had learned more about that. And I'm seeing nowadays more and more uh, medical students on LinkedIn and networking and getting into this environment. And I was thinking, God, that's that's absolutely awesome. I, I wish that I had been able to think about that at that stage because I feel like I've learned so much in the last 10, 15 years, let's say on LinkedIn um, or on, you know, any social media platforms where there are clinicians. So yeah, I think personal branding and, and an understanding, a good baseline understanding of health tech would be really, really valuable. Completely agree with you. Thank you so, so much for your time, your wonderful advice and your tips and everything. I think that people are going to get a lot of value from this today. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brand New Doctor. I hope it inspired you in your personal journey. Check out the notes for a summary of the show with all of the important links. And if you enjoyed this, do me a favor. Subscribe and share this episode with someone else you think could benefit from this message. I'd love to hear from you. So why not leave a rating and review? It really helps other people to discover the podcast too. You can also find me on LinkedIn as Rolakeojo and on Instagram as Rolakeo.so. So that's all for now, but I'll be back soon with another episode of Brand New Doctor.